Welcome to season seven of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xstand. The show is for all levels of experience, talking marketing, business, and branding with the brightest of minds as our guests. Lots of learning and laughing. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 134 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We're happy you're here. And thank you to everyone who has been listening for the last several years. If you enjoy the show, we hope you're following us wherever you're listening. If you're not, hit that follow button. And we would also love it if you would rate and review the show and share it out to friends and colleagues who you think will get value from our amazing guests. But before we get to our amazing guest today, I want to say hello to my co-host and good friend, Jen Cole. How are you today, Jen? I'm fantastic. I'm having a super fun Friday. Excellent. Yeah, we've been recording on Fridays a lot, which is always, I think there's something we have a little more pep in our step even than normal <laughs> on a Friday. Maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Very cool. And it is fall. Football season has started. I will say, I don't know if we should place a bet right now, but I don't know. Maybe we're going to have a revisit of the 2020 Super Bowl. My team's pretty good. I don't know. If, I yeah. know you guys are really good, but my team is pretty good this year. So, yeah, I mean, we we'll did see. literally drop the ball the other day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it happens. Yeah, it does. It does. You guys will bounce back. You'll get Kelsey back and and you'll bounce back. But I am just super excited because our quarterback controversy is just so I'm so over it from the last three years. So really hoping that our 23 year old boy wonder, I think he's going to be 24 next week or something. Holy cow. Pulls through for us. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, our guest today is someone that we just did the math on. I've known for eight years and we met at a corporate event marketing association summit where we are both event professionals attending in that capacity. And then when he told me where he worked, I said, oh, I go to your show. I had been an attendee at his event the previous two years. And I believe I proceeded to do do nothing but like sing praises about this event for the next few years on different shows and all of that kind of good stuff. So I want to welcome to the show another Wichita, Phil Mershon. Welcome, Phil. (laughs) And another Kansas City Chiefs fan. Go Chiefs. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) Of course. Of course. We welcome fans of all kind here. Anyone I can just talk football with, I'm I'm super Mm -hmm. excited about because, you know, not everyone is Sporty Spice like (laughs) I am. So I always welcome that. Actually, Jen and I did a show right before the Super Bowl in 2020 that we recorded live and it continued to get views on YouTube for uh, like the next two years. It was wild. We don't get a lot of views on YouTube, but I think it's our most watched episode, which I just found so fun. She didn't have as many zingers as I did, but she did. She held her own. I get it. Trash talk. (laughs) Yeah. We compared the social media of each of the teams. So it was really, it was fun like to see who won which which thing. Yeah. So, all right. (laughs) I'm going to read Phil's bio here. Phil Mershon is the Director of Experience for Social Media Examiner. He's been designing the social media marketing world experience for over a decade. Drawing from over 25 years and creating customized events, Phil loves to create memorable moments and transformational experiences. In addition, Phil is a jazz saxophonist, a pickleball enthusiast, and the author of Unforgettable, The Art 
and science of creating memorable experiences. And this was the spark for me to have him on the show, even though we should have had him on <laughs> long ago. Um, yeah. Events are my love language. So I'm super excited about the show today. Jen, why don't you kick us off? All right, Phil. So you've been uh, designing events, you know, as experiences for a long time now. How did you originally get started in this kind of industry? And what inspired you initially to want to, you know, kind of make it your life mission to create experiences for so many other people? Yeah, I would say I've been creating experiences my whole professional career. I just didn't know that's what I was doing. Wow. Um, I started at Boeing. I was a corporate trainer at Coke Industries here in Wichita, a large multinational company. You know, when I was creating experiences then where people were saying, man, that's the best training I've ever been to. And I'm like, man, the bar's not very high or I'm doing something special, but I kind of ignored it. Then I was a pastor and my job was creating experiences. I was a worship pastor. So it was all about the music and the whole experience people are having, you know, from the parking lot to parking lot experience. That was the way I looked at it. But when I joined the team at Social Media Examiner back in 2010, I started as a contractor. At that point, we were only doing online events. But when we started Social Media Marketing World in 2013, a lot of these threads of my life came together and began to see the opportunities for creating experiences. In the first year, I'll confess, I, I know, Megan, you thought it was amazing. We were still figuring out what we we're doing because we'd never put on it as large as what that year was, which was over a thousand people. The event planning company we worked with was great. And we just did what felt natural. It's like we wanted to create an event for us. Over time, you start to realize, well, an event for me is not the event for the audience we were attracting. And so I had to get a lot smarter at how do you understand the customer and design the experience that they're going to find to be unforgettable. And I think that's the process that led me to say, you know what, I need to write this down. And why not write a book? People said that I'd write a book someday. So why not do it? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, we know a lot of our listeners have been to social media marketing world and can agree that that event is all about the experience. And you've done very well to make that quite clear. So many great memories. Yeah, I didn't attend the first year. My first year was your second year. And then I went seven years in a row. So mm -hmm. I also have perspective of change over the years too, right? Things that, yeah. things that you need to change and things that, you know, you're just trying out and all that kind of good stuff. But uh I will say too, and this is with anything, the people really make it are, are really they're part of the whole thing, right? And that this like crowdsourcing dinner meetups and all that kind of stuff. That was the first time I'd have ex ever experienced that. And that for me was so cool. I have friends that I still have. My friend Karen, I met that year. I've been to her house in, in Minneapolis. We've traveled together. She's came out and went to a 49ers Vikings game with me. <laughs> so but creating an environment where people want to connect like that is what you do. So I love it. Okay, so good event professionals get and use feedback from participants. And I know that firsthand that you do this because the first thing you said to me when we met was, could I get some feedback when I told you that I had been? So I'd love it if you would tell our <laughs> listeners, right? You did. And you, like, it was, and I saw changes that people suggested to you. I saw those come to life. So I think that's so wonderful. So I would love it if you tell our listeners, like, how you go about that beyond the just asking me, but like beyond the post event survey, like, what inspired you to approach that feedback and, and implementing feedback the way that you do? I, I'm just going to say this up front. Ask Megan. She'll tell you exactly what you need to fix. That's probably the best thing I ever did. Oh, <laughs> that's um, very kind of you. I said yeah, it kindly, I, by the way, folks. I was not. I you, was... you did. Yeah, no, you did 
<laughs> offer a lot of very helpful suggestions. But I think having the humility to know what you don't know. I think one of the most important questions that I've ever asked was going to like the San Diego Convention Center and they're saying, okay, what else do you need to know? And I said, no, what else do we need to be asking? We don't know what we should be asking. What are the questions that you wish everybody would ask? Or what are the questions that the smart event planners are asking you that we haven't asked you yet? Because we don't know our blind spots. And you know, after a while, you start to think you know everything and that's when you make mistakes. So yeah. I think always maintaining this position of humility and knowing that the customer is right, even if you don't agree with them, what is right about what they're saying and having the humility to, to look at it, especially when there's trends in what they're saying. You know, if one person mm-hmm. says something that doesn't make it true, if five people say it, it makes it worth studying. If 10 or 20 people are saying it, you realize, okay, there's a lot of people that they're representing, you know, because most people don't speak up. You know, that's the truth. Right. When people take surveys, we feel good if we get 10% of the population to take a survey. We look at that as being statistically reliable even, but that means there's 90% that didn't speak up that might've had a nuance to the way they say it. So right. I listen to those things. We look at it as a team and say, what do we think? Should we adjust here? How can we address this? What is the ripple effect of that? The danger, and you've probably seen this, Megan and Jen, you've been to the conference a number of times. The danger is you get so focused on fixing the thing that the audience is saying that you forget to do well something that you have done well for years because you've only got so much ability to to pay attention to a certain number of things. And so that's where a team uh, preserving the history of knowing what's worked and why did it work before? Why did we come up with this solution before? So that we realize, okay, this is important to keep doing, even while we pay attention to these other things that we know are broken. That's a great point. Staying curious is really what I heard you saying um, through a lot of that. Yeah. And such a great point to remember to keep the positive things. And but like Jay Bear, when you were saying that, like the loudest voice, like it's that in between, right? It's the people that don't say anything that that we need to be the most concerned about. Yeah. Because if they didn't feel strongly one way or another, there's a higher chance you're going to lose them, right? Or maybe they're telling people what they thought. They're just not telling you. Right. They're the people that are silently leaving. And so we don't know why they're leaving and we try to ask and they don't always tell us, you know, and so every event every year has people that are leaving that didn't say anything about it. They're not convinced. I feel fortunate that we've got people that are willing to tell us why they're considering not coming and what we would need to change. That's actually a gift when you've built a community that's willing to speak up and not just say, man, you guys are the best, but saying, you know what? You were the best, or I really like this, but you know, I'm not sure I'm coming back because I'm not sure the ROI is there unless something were to change with this. It's like, yeah, we want to hear that kind of stuff. We need to hear it. It's hard to hear. We don't want to hear it. We want to think everything we did was perfect, but you know, you're trying to support and serve thousands of people. You're not going to get it right for every person. Of course not. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that I'm not coming anymore because I'm not working in social media anymore. <laughs> so that's my why. Just as a, just throwing that out there, because I think then that's part of it. I think there's a lot of people who got burnt out and are yeah. like this social media is just not their jam anymore. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, that's so true. It's it's a high burnout rate situation, that's for sure. So, you know, Phil, there's a difference between just hosting an event and producing an unforgettable experience. So what do you consider the defining factor here that creates that level up from just being an assemblage of people to something that is unforgettable for everyone that's involved? There's not one single thing. 
I think it's a combination of things that start stacking together. The way I define it is there's three M's that you need to look at. And when these three M's are working in concert, then you're likely to have an unforgettable experience. So those are, is it memorable? Is it meaningful? Mm -hmm. And is it momentous? And so by memorable, I mean, you're doing something that is unique. It's unexpected. You're combining things together that like the Savannah Bananas do, where you're taking things that you're used to seeing in other parts of the world, but you're not used to seeing it in an event context. You guys both remember when we did musicals at Social Media Marketing World, That's you didn't expect to see a musical there. So that's unforgettable. Meaningful, well, another part of memorable is are you tapping into all the senses? We as event organizers tend to tap into the visual and the audio and maybe the tactile, but what about taste? What about smell? Um, Are you incorporating all those things strategically? Then when you move to meaningful, that's are you looking at the journey people are taking and not just the journey on site, their journey starts when they buy a ticket, yeah. especially when they leave home to go to the conference. Now, if we're talking about in, in a virtual event, this is a very different thing. But so for right now, let's talk about in person. But vir- if you want to come back to virtual, we can because this is a harder thing to accomplish. But when someone leaves their house to go on the trip, that's kind of when the event starts for them. Even they're packing their bags. So yeah. are you thinking about their emotional journey through that whole time? And how do you support it? What is going to make it unforgettable is when they have those aha moments or those serendipitous conversations when Jen meets Megan. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure that happened at a social media marketing world when you guys yep. met each other. We volunteered and you put me on her team. I was a volunteer oh. and she was a staffer. Yeah. Well, but we you met still met through your social thing. media marketing world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> we did. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love so it. So that wasn't so serendipitous because that was, except that I chose to put you on her, her team, right. which actually, you know, imagine Thank what you. Th- this oh, show didn't happen if it hadn't been for you guys being on that same team. How cool is that? If you guys have read that book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, they're Stanford professors. And through their study of Disney and many other places, they were asking this question, why is it that some moments stand out above others? And they, you know, they have this famous statement that I rephrase, but they say, not all moments are created equally. And I say, not all moments are remembered equally. But they got this from Disney in particular, where if you think about it, if you've ever been to Disney, um, there's some moments there that are kind of meh. Like you could do without standing in line, paying too much for a Coke, sitting in the heat, you know, sweating while your kids are running around, complaining and crying. But those are outweighed by the fact that you've got your favorite ride, you've met your favorite character, you've watched this fireworks show and the parade. And when you leave, they've put this, you know, goodbye kiss on there when you're getting to see all the characters. And so when they looked at the the data, the data it says, you know, the average score should be in the 50 to 60% rate because there are enough negatives to not necessarily outweigh all the positives. But what people scored it was much more in the 80 and 90% range because those positive moments did stand out so much so that they forgot about those negative experiences because they were so happy. And so that principle right there of which moments do you pay attention to? How do you stack those together in such a way that even when something goes wrong, which you guys have been in events, you know that something's going to go wrong. Like, let's be honest, something is not going to go according to plan or the plan's not going to work out the way you thought it would. Um, Your plan may have been perfectly executed, but it just didn't have the uh, intended effect 
scratch or AV equipment breaks. I mean, you used to work for an AV company, Megan, like something is going to fail. That's why good AV companies yeah. has have plenty of backups, right? So yeah. if we can stack those moments together in such a way that it imprints on people's minds, then the potential for those serendipitous conversations or those aha moments, those all increase. And then all of a sudden it becomes something so much more. You can't just say it's one of those things. It's the combination of all those things working together. So it's not like I can sit here and say exactly, here's what's going to make it unforgettable for you. But if we start doing these things well and pay attention to doing the right things, the right moments, the right kinds of experiences, providing great customer service, then all of a sudden, wow, this is going to stand out compared to every other event because most events just want to say, you know what, get a speaker on stage, let them talk about what they're going to talk about and make sure people don't complain. Yeah. And that's going to be forgettable. It's not going to be necessarily bad. It's going to be forgettable, which to me equals boring. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that because when I think of like conferences that I've been to versus the ones that like you and I have worked on together, I've always been on, you know, staff at those events, but still, even so, like thinking through the hallway, thinking through the networking experience, thinking of all the available podcasting and, you know, connections and versus other, mm-mm, um, Social media examiner blows it out of the water. What we do at Digital Wichita for Social Media Day blows it out of the water. Like you have a formula and, you know, I feel like it's such a gift to us as a Digital Wichita team that you've passed that on to us. And we're still trying to like ride the moment of, you know, the beginning of that event. So I've seen for myself this in action and I, I love that it's down on paper now, Phil. I think that's so cool. You have this whole book about all of this for for so many of us to learn. Yeah. And I would argue you said it started when they get on the plane. Not with this. Part of the uh, the biggest impact of this show for me is the, and this, I think part of it's because they're social media folks and they're more likely <laughs> to get involved in these groups, but the sure. online groups and the having yeah, volunteer. Yeah. I was a community moderator. That's what was my volunteer role, uh, like helping answer questions and making sure people who were new or felt welcome before they even got there. Yeah. So people, you know, setting up meetups and the, who had never even met in person. So impactful. I've never seen that in any other event that I've gone to quite that way. Same, same. Yeah, I think that's critical if you can. Not all events can do that. Right. Of course, this is a social media crowd, so it's a little bit easier, but you've seen it firsthand. If we get 50% of the crowd engaged in the group before they come, we're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. But those 50% are going to make it much more welcoming to all the other people who are coming. And we have a more than 50% are coming for the first time. So we want to make it as welcoming as we can. So if you go and you've already got people that you've met online that you look forward to meeting in person, it makes it for a way better experience. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. So I want to talk about the art and science. So creating memorable events, as the title of your book says, is about both art and science. So how is that? And what do you think is the biggest challenge in appealing to the masses with the events that we create and participate in? As far as the art and science? Well, yeah, applying that to what's the biggest challenge of the mix of both? Because, you know, you can well, it, I just talked to like, why Why is that part of the title, I guess, is part of it. Well, I think I titled it that way because it is part art and part science. There's science that we need to have to pay attention to that, you know, whether it's, I'm going to miss the name of this right now, but proxemics. So proxemics is the study of how people gather in space 
and there's a culture oh. of it. You know, in Latino culture, people are used to being closer to each other than in America, and there's other places where they want more space between each other. But it's also the way people behave in different sizes of groups. So the way people behave one-to-one versus in a small group of five or six people versus 12 to 20 versus, you know, 100 and beyond, the way we behave is different. The way we learn is different in those different sizes of groups. So the way you structure seating is not just, oh, this feels good, or it's really based on what's going on sociologically, what's going to facilitate the kind of experience we want people to have in this room. You know, it's cool to be able to offer a wide variety of different ways for people to participate. That's not always practical financially, but that this is where you're mixing art and science. You're saying, okay, what's the experience that we want to create? What are the tools that we have available? Have you already decided on a venue? If so, you're you're kind of limited, but you can still make a lot of things happen. If you haven't picked one yet, then you want to pick a venue that supports your goals. And so I think the, you know, your question was, what are the mistakes or what makes this challenging is a lot of us have preconceived ideas because we grew up in school and we grew up in, you know, auditoriums are straight rows of seats and we need to have as many people in the room as possible seated in straight rows. That's what we do. And we're used to sitting for long periods of time because that's how learning happens is there's an expert up on stage. Everyone in the audience is the student. And that may need to be broken. Like John Berghoff spoke at the event that I did last week, and he is a big proponent of the sage on the sides. The people who are in the audience are just as wise. And if we can tap into the collective wisdom in a room, but to do that means we've got to change the way people are positioned In the room, we're not elevating one person and say, he's got all the answers or she's got all the answers. We're saying, you know what? They can start a conversation. But if we can let that conversation starter draw out the wisdom of everybody else, that's going to be a different experience. So, but if you don't even understand that that's possible or how, what the science is that's going on there, how you make people feel comfortable so that they will share how you design conversations it's not going to happen. And we're going to keep just repeating what we've always done. You know, we've always done 300 people seated in rows. That's the most economical way to do it. Everyone's going to feel comfortable because we've seen it before. We've done it before. And we're going to go right into student mode because we've been doing that since we were four or five years old. We've done it our whole lives, but does it have to be that way? And I think we've got to challenge some of our presuppositions about the way learning needs to happen. And for a lot of people, That's not where the learning happens. The learning is happening where you talked about, Jen, in the conversations in the hallway, at the bar that night. It's the conversations that happen between the sessions. Sometimes those are the most profound takeaways that people have. So I think one of our biggest challenges is what we know can get in the way of what we don't know and the possibilities that are there. And if we can learn and look at what others are doing, and the good news is there's a lot of event planners in the world that are pushing those boundaries and trying different things, taking people on cruises and, you know, going on sailboats and doing crazy things and having events in places that are unusual and unexpected that open up the doors to all kinds of new learning. I think if we're open, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive budget to do it. It just needs to be intentional is why we have to understand what are the principles, what are the scientific principles that we need to adhere to and study And then what are the things that artistically are available to us that help us color outside the lines of what we're used to? And maybe the people that we need to have on the team that help us. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and you went on a, an international trip where you showed up, you didn't even know where you were going. That was pretty different, right? Yeah, Liz Lathan, yeah. Nicole Asibodu, they organized a trip through HOT, their company. And uh, there were 80 of us event professionals who showed up at JFK and the TWA Hotel. All of us, all, the only thing we knew is we needed to have our bags packed for a certain kind of weather and our passports good. And that's all that they told us. And so we all showed up, most of us not knowing each other. And they did a big unveil and we're going to Tuscany in Italy. And we spent five days, but we spent like 12 hours in the plane because this was a fairly small plane, chartered plane. That was the first session. Twice on our way over. (laughs) Our first, second and third session were on the plane because we had to stop in Goose, what is it, Goose Island and then... In Iceland, we had just wow. like two different stops on our way over there. So I think it took 12 or 13 hours just to get there. Yeah. So that's the learning there was out off the rails because it was all conversation based. No one came with a pre-decided session with slides. It was based on what do people want to discuss? We had a wall, probably, I don't know, 20 feet wide where there were stickers six feet high of all the topics people were either willing to lead a conversation on or wanted to discuss. And then people would go and vote and Liz and Nicole decided which ones we were doing and when we were doing them and who was leading it. And that's the only agenda we had. And then mix it in with things like tasting wine and learning how to press olives and going truffle hunting with a dog that that's what (laughs) the dog was trained to do. And all these things that are very unique to Italy, living in an agrarian society. And then a couple of detours, of course, to the Tower of Pisa and classic village and all that. So yeah, that was unexpected. A lot of fun, a lot of memories, friends that will be for life for some of them. And then the conversations were just so rich. Yeah. Unforgettable. That is for sure. Yeah. Sounds amazing. I love it. All right. So we're going to have a brain break. We do a little brain break in the middle of our the two halves of our questions. My birthday was on Wednesday. So today, our brain break topic is what was your most memorable birthday celebration and why? Jen got to see the question, so I'm going to let her go first. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My best birthday ever, most memorable birthday ever was, of all things, in 2020. And we had just gotten back from social media marketing world. And I was so sad that I wasn't going to get to see people in real life anymore. This is also the first birthday that Tim had ever created for me. He's an experienced guy <laughs> by mm-hmm. far. And he, so he like got to Wichita, took Friday off, which was my birthday, drove up to Wichita. We were long distance back then and bought a whole bunch of unicorn stuff because I love unicorns. And he apparently had Christine Gritman organize this huge, 60 plus people Zoom call for my birthday party that I had no idea about. So I'm all like just decked out of my unicorn stuff. He had made steaks on the grill and then he has me come back out to the porch to hang out. And he brings out this laptop full of all of my friends. Like, and I just start sobbing. Megan, yeah, you were you were definitely there. It was, I wow, it was amazing. That's <laughs> that so, was, that's so cool. Like turning something sour yeah. into something so sweet. Like that is yeah. really, really cool. He is the definitely the best at that. I'm so lucky. But that's my most memorable birthday. I will never forget that. Incredible. Yeah. All right, Phil, you got do you have yours? It's hard to pick just one. Okay. That's a good problem. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I'm gonna go with the more more recent one. And I think it might have been my fifty-fifth birthday, which tells you I'm more than fifty-five. 
but I won't say how long ago that was. Audrey, my wife, said, hey, Phil, I want to meet you for lunch at this restaurant called Bella Luna, which Jen probably knows. Bella Luna. And we're going to go shopping or something afterwards. So I'm like, okay, cool. What time? And, you know, I met her there. And then she says, oh, come with me. And she has the back room reserved, which has a big old banquet table in it. And seated at this table are some of my best friends. Yeah. Make me cry. It wasn't like there was something special that we all did together. It was just that she created this space for me to be with some of the people that have had the biggest impact on my life and just said, hey, we want to buy lunch for all of you. And we had some good food. Not everybody made it that we she had hoped to because she had called a bunch of people. But those who did, it was like so impactful. Obviously, I still feel it. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's so special. Oh, I love that. Love, love, love. Okay. So (laughs) mine was my 50th and aging myself also. But uh, it's funny because I had someone say to me, your birthday was like a destination wedding (laughs) because Uh it was in 2021. It was still COVID time. So I didn't want to have, first of all, I didn't want to have one big gathering where I didn't have time to talk to anybody, everybody, or that I only got two minutes, you know, with each person. And so I surveyed as a good professional does. I surveyed my friends and family. (laughs) Where would you travel to? What would you be willing, you know, where would you, if it was in San Diego, would you travel to San Diego? If it was in San Diego, would you stay the night? even if you're local and all these questions. So, and then from that, I had like 11 different things that people could come to, um, whether they were staying in got a beach house in Pacific Beach on the Bay. And it just, it was, it exceeded my expectations. And the thing is, I have not had a wedding either. So I was like, this may be like the only chance I get to do something like this. And for me, people showing up, it wasn't about what we did. It wasn't about the gifts I got. It was yeah. about people showing up for me because that's yeah. my thing. Like I show up for people. Yeah. I want people to show up for me. My niece told me last weekend that I'm the show upiest, <laughs> which I was <laughs> I like, that's like that. a new a new term. I love that. As I was in in Boise for her 40th, and you know that was like oh I don't was there for like 40 hours, 36 hours, something like that. So anyway, so yeah, so many people showed up, and it was just like it exceeded. It was just it was so so magical. It was super awesome. So. This one wasn't as exciting, you know, <laughs> you know, when you won the, trivia, the, the, the off years. Oh, yeah. But my team did it was happening for my local trivia and we won, which was super yeah. exciting. <laughs> so funny. OK. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That that was really nice. All right, Jen, let's kick off the second half. All right. Engineering an entire experience for an event that will bring in thousands of people is a huge undertaking. So where do you even start and how do you like to gather inspiration and ideas? Oh, that's a great question. So where you start, I mean, it depends on your company. If you're creating it from scratch, then you've got to say, who are you creating this for? And what's the place that you're going to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, who you're doing it for and how big you're expecting it to be answers a lot of things. Because as soon as you start to say it's an event for thousands of people, you've instantly lowered the number of places you can do it. If you say you want to do it in a hotel that everybody's in the same place, you've lowered it again. If you say you want to do it in San Diego versus Vegas or Orlando or Chicago or some of the other places that have venues big enough, now again, you've lowered the options. So you got to start with those things. They're going to narrow the list on where can you do this thing. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, how long is it? Is this, you know, to Megan's point, you know, are you willing to stay overnight for this? Is this a half day thing? Is this a three day thing? Is this a week? What is it that you're 
trying to create here? There's so many questions that you've got to ask to qualify, you know, how do you start this? I forget the second part of your question because I got so focused on where do you start? <laughs> but <laughs> it starts with who, who is that person? Trying to get as clear a picture on it, who it is that you're designing this event for. Do you already know them? Like, is this the audience that you already serve? Are you trying to create an audience to come to this event that doesn't even exist for you yet? Because that is a whole different thing. Yeah. And if you're trying to attract an audience that you don't know yet, but you can kind of picture where they are, as opposed to if it's an audience that you already serve and you're regularly in communication, that audience is far more likely to be ready to say, yes, show me, tell me when and where, and I'll give you my credit card um, if the dates work. <laughs> right. I think Molly Mahoney gives kind of like a whole thing about that. Like just throw credit cards, how to get people to throw credit cards at you. I love that topic. At your face. That was her, the name of her session, how to get people to throw credit cards at your face. Yeah. 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 It's great. Yeah. I think the second half was how do you gather ideas? My my yeah. my guess oh. is you probably you probably write things um as you as you think of them, right? Or as people point them to you. No, I just call Megan. That's all I, I just call Megan. Lies. I just call Megan. Give me some ideas. No, I um it actually comes from a lot of places, Jen. So mm-hmm. I can be sitting in a movie and say, Oh, that's a really interesting idea. Or uh-huh. I was sitting in Hamilton one summer with my daughter and said, Oh, that's a really cool idea. So I try to write them down wherever I am when I'm watching something, experiencing something and say, you know what, that would be one of those ideas that you're used to seeing it at a tennis match, but you're not used to seeing it at a corporate event. What if, what if we could? And so, you know, try to keep a list of those ideas going. For me, they usually are in the context of brainstorming about something. I'm not very good about keeping lots of lists around where (laughs) I remember to look at them when it's time to brainstorm. So I'm better served if I'm focused on what's the experience we're trying to create. And then I just start. And then usually I'll be triggered to remember something that I have seen in the last year and say, yeah, where did I put that note? And, you know, five minutes later, Google shows me the the document that I created. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Like if you write it, if you don't write it down, it's gone forever. I love yeah. that you collect like that. That's great. I, I have a lot of the same kind of things where like on Instagram, if I see something like wedding related or health related that I want to save, I've just created a whole lot of different, almost pin boards, like Pinterest. You can do it on TikTok too. And I'm like, okay, but now I got to remember to go back and find these like when the time comes right. that I'm interested in this topic. Right. So, yeah, uh, that's the where is the gotta list? find it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So Phil, you just gave me a visual when you said like a tennis match and I got and then your interest in pickleball. And I just had a picture of you having people on stage at World and someone hitting a pickleball across the net to someone and then they have to answer a question. Ooh, <laughs> or something like. an idea volley. Oh, an idea volley. You just oh, named it even. I did. My goodness. That's <laughs> awesome. I love that. That may or may not happen this year. But uh, so I like cool. the idea. That's, that's fun. I mean, Collaboration. You know, it's funny, too, because I am a huge tennis fan. And when I am at a tennis match and I am sitting on the net, it, it just makes me laugh. And I always say <laughs> I said the joke one time and now I always say it. I'm like, it's like watching a tennis match. You have to turn your head back. Yeah, I'd prefer to sit on the baseline so I can just see everything. So awesome. Okay. All right. So we've been talking mostly about the experience itself, which makes perfect sense, obviously. And so the design of an event is one thing and getting people there is something else, especially over the past few years. um, I think event experience 
you know, slash experienced designers have had to think about how everything has changed. And we really, we can't or we shouldn't be going back to 2019 thinking. So I'm curious what for you has been the biggest challenge as of late to get people to participate. In other words, the, the, you know, the butts and the seats. I think what I'm noticing is people are a lot more careful about where they're going to spend their time and their money. So they're not just going to go to an event because everyone says you should go to this event. They're going to be, they want to see the ROI a little faster than I think happened pre-pandemic. Um, so that means they're evaluating the content with a different lens of, is this the stuff that I need to learn or is that, and are these the people that I want to learn with? So I think the marketing, we have to be a lot more value-based, you know, what's the value of this and testimony-based and really scratching the itch of what they think they need. Now, it's just like Steve Jobs where people don't always know what they need. So you give them what they think they want, and then you give them what they need once they get there. You know, And ideally, those are very close to one another, and it doesn't feel like a big surprise, but sometimes it is. Like None of us knew we needed iPhones iPods or any of those things. And yet, how could you live without it today? Right. I I would not be smart without my phone. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I feel like everything I need is in my notes app. (laughs) That too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They have checklists in there now too. I'm like, oh, Oh, girl. Today I was checking things off in notes and I was like, oh, this is so satisfying. I, love it. <laughs> I write things down just so I can have that feeling. <laughs> I, I do that too, if I'm honest. Yeah, for real. Spreadsheets, notes app. It's amazing. All right. So, Phil, this year you published this remarkable, remarkable book called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. So what inspired you to write it and share your ideas with the masses? Megan, I think you were there in 2017 up in Newport Beach for SEMA. and uh, Jeff. Hurt was our MC. Were you there that year? Yeah, yes. You may not remember it the way I remember it, but there were several things that happened at that event. But one of them was, well, let me go here. Jeff closed out the event, but he gave the title of the session something like, and I'm making this up completely because I don't have any documents on it, but it was something like the neuroscience of events. And, you know, it was something like really intriguing, really scientific sounding. And I'm like, oh, I, I need to know about that. Um, so I went with expecting to learn. And within like 10 minutes, he's leading a debrief session. Like, huh, he hoodwinked us here. But the debrief session was powerful. And I won't go into all the details of what he did, but he got us to identify three things that were going to stand out from the event that we wanted to document. And then he had to share it by putting stickers on a wall, by drawing a picture and getting somebody to guess what that picture story was. And then you made an appointment with someone to follow up in three weeks. And so he got all these things in our brain, which literally for, I could actually probably tell you what those three things are right now, six years later. Wow. One of those three things was I'd had this aha moment during the event And you guys both know that I read the Bible and I'd been reading this story in the Bible about when Joshua is fighting five armies all at once. And he cries out and says, God, could you do something here? And God stops the sun for a day so he can fight these five armies. And I said, wait a second, that's what we're trying to do at events. We're trying to get people in a place where life slows down enough that they can fight those five armies, metaphorically speaking. And so if we could create that, that'd be like making time stand still. So I had this phrase pop into my head and I said, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to write a book about. I've been looking for years 
you know, since grad school in 2002, I had a professor say, Phil, you're going to write multiple books someday. I'm like, yeah, right. But eventually I said, yeah, I'd like to write a book, but I didn't know what about. And so I had it. It's like, I'm going to write that book. I'm going to figure this out. And it took about three months. And I got to an event where I started writing my idea out with Michael and Amy Port. They were teaching this event. And I realized, you know what? There, That book can't be written because there isn't a way to make time stand still. That's not possible. You can create the conditions for it. So I pivoted and said, okay, I'm going to write the book on the conditions for making time stand still. <laughs> and then eventually called that Unforgettable, The Art and Science. But I was, I was... For about two years, I was writing the book that everybody else thought I should write. And I just wasn't making traction. So I kind of pivoted and came back and said, I'm going to write a book proposal and see if I can come at it a different way and see if maybe I can even get a publisher. So I did that in 2019 and I got Morgan James to say, we'd like to be your publisher and started working on it. And this was late 2019. And you know what happened in the first quarter of 2020. So I'd made, you know, three months of progress. And then stopped. And they said, you know what? No one wants a book for live events. I didn't have any interest in writing a book about live events. So I took a pause. And then late 21, we caught back together and said, yeah, now it's time to start working on it again. And so the inspiration came because of that experience, but saying, okay, I can't write a book on telling you the ABCs of how do you make time stand still. But what I can do is tell you how to create the conditions where serendipity happens, where people have these aha moments, where people are going to have unforgettable experiences and moments. And so I wanted to do that ultimately because I want to create events that that are transformational, that change people's lives in ways that they are looking for. And if we just create events that people show up to and say, yeah, I went to another event and all they remember are the parties. All they remember are, you know, interesting people that they met, but they actually don't become better people as a result of going. It's like, man, we're, we're wasting a lot of money. And one of the things I found along the way was that, um, 90% of what people learn at events is forgotten within 30 days. And so that means we're wasting a ton of money if we don't do something different in the way we're creating the events that we create. So that's kind of what's driving it. I have a hashtag, no more boring events, which is a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's, but it's actually, there's also a reality to that. It's like, man, we, we don't want to go to, and we don't want to produce events that people are going to forget quickly. Right. For sure. Yeah. And I remember that session. And actually, I I think it's subconsciously, I have a plan when I go to any event that I'm going to have, I want at least three takeaways that I can action on right away. Because if I don't, then I probably won't get done. And or I'll feel so overwhelmed that there's too much to do that I won't do and I'll end up not doing any of it. So I wonder, it's probably seeped in my subconscious, like it probably came from that. So interesting. You and you painted a really good picture just now, Phil, because I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I was I was in that. And in my brain, I'm going, was I in that? And then you described it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally was. I remember going to the back of the room and Yeah. Thank you for that. Very, very cool. All right. Yeah. I mean, it was powerful because think about that. You you took action and put those stickers on a timeline. So you you know when that idea happened. And so you were doing something very physical that rooted these things in your brain. And yeah, I know for me, I do that now too. It's like, I try to come away with one or three things, no more, any more than that. It's not going to happen. My list is longer. Part of it's I'm going to get Jen to help me do some of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was the um, podcast <laughs> movement conference. Um, yeah. So it was all yeah. these things I want to do for the show. Um, and so but, yeah, I need some help on it. Okay. All right. So we have a new 
outstanding question for our listeners. We've been asking our guests to share a business book. So moving forward now, instead, I thought I felt like the question we asked in our reunion shows was really powerful. We kick off each season with a reunion shows that bring everybody back from the previous season. And we asked them one big question. So this time we asked, what is one business challenge you've experienced in your career? And how did you overcome it? Or you know, what did you learn from it that may help our guests? Yeah. Well, I'm going to share this one. I'm still overcoming it, but I'm going to share it because I think your guests will be able to relate. So just last week, and depending on when this releases, it will have been a little bit longer. I ran an event called the Unforgettable Experience Design Summit, and I did it to align with the launch of my book. And I got 16 people from the events industry, various people to come and join it. And I thought, man, their audience is going to definitely attract people. My business goal was I want to grow an email list. I want to grow my influence. I'd love it to sell some books and open doors. And and frankly, I want to sell some recording tickets because I'm, you know, I'm trying to start a business, side business, but a business. And, you know, I was promoting this thing for weeks and finding that the lessons I've learned is the bigger the name of someone, the less likely they are to share about it. And then, you know, your excitement is not the same as everybody else's level of excitement. And I do think because this is new and I'm an, while I'm a known quantity for social media marketing world, I'm an unknown quantity for producing these kinds of events on my own. And so I think there was some levels of suspicion. Is this going to go okay? I mean, we know his reputation, but is it going to be Okay. So I did not get anywhere close to the numbers that I expected to come. You know, I was expecting in the thousands and it was in the hundreds in terms of those who actually came. And then in terms of how many people purchased, I was off by a magnitude of, you know, I got 10% of the sales that I was expecting. We'll just say that. So I'm not saying real numbers. And so I think what I learned is I've got to take a lot more ownership for marketing than I thought. I also learned that people are not going to online events the way they once did. They're much more careful with their time. We had the most people show up on the first day. And I'm not sure if this principle is true, but I think if I had done it in one day, I might have had more people stick around. But instead, I was asking people to come during lunch for four days in a row. And the drop off from day one to day two was like a five, five full drop off, 150 on the first day, 30 something on the second day. And it was even lower on days three and four. And so, you know, multi-day online events that start out for free and you're hoping people will pay, it didn't work out for me. I'm glad I did it because I've got great content and started great conversations with some very significant people that I know I'll do business with in years to come. But I think, you know, the lessons that I could share with those who are listening right now is don't make assumptions that just because you've done it in one space, you can do it somewhere else automatically. It takes time to build relationships and you've got to be communicating for a while. And I've got fairly sizable audiences on all the social platforms, but very few of them were willing to give up a little bit of their time, especially for multiple days. Right. Yeah. It being um, morning, I attended on the first day. I was one of the drop-offs. I apologize. And I, but I like probably like a lot of people, I had every intention of going back. I had it on my calendar each day. And then I got scheduled, you know, I worked for a company that scheduled meetings and, you know, I had other things that um, were going on simultaneously. So I ended up not, not making it back. So, but I did quite enjoy that first day. So thank you for that. (laughs) But I hear you. And um, we've talked about this on the show before. We're all equally guilty of not marketing our own marketing podcast as well as we should, (laughs) because like you, we're busy doing other things, right? We have a, we have a day job 
hub and we have we have a lot of things going on. And so I think the lesson for us, too, is is to get help. Like maybe we definitely need a VA or somebody who can, you know, can help us with the things that that we could end up not getting enough time to do ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we are so grateful that you came on and um, thank you for saying yes. And the link to your book will be in the show notes. I'm not sure how many of you actually look at the show notes. So I'm going to go ahead and share that. I, we also have a survey. So one of the things I took away from Podcast Movement was that I want to get to know our listeners better. This is I want it to be more of a two-way conversation than us just talking at you. If we can get some information from our listeners, we would really love that. So we do have a brief listener survey. Um, and it is the links in the show notes and how you get there more easily than on Apple or Spotify or whatever is at um, makingamarketer.podbean.com and the link will be there. So I thank you, Phil, for being here. Uh, my pleasure. And thanks, Jen. Always a good Always. time. Love this yes. conversation today. Thank you so much, Phil. It's yes. been wonderful. Yeah, yeah, very, very uh, good. I've been looking forward right. to this for six years. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll try to not go six more. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> for sure. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you, uh, my, our listening friends. And this has been episode 134 of the Making a Marketer podcast. And we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.